Hello. Hey, Kai. Hey, Michael Chauvin Dalton. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> How are you doing? All right. Um, so that's that's a joke that won't make sense until our next episode. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. It's, a, it's an Easter egg. <laughs> Putting in an Easter egg for the next episode. Yes. Oh, so what were you up to today? Oh, I uh, was doing something very satisfying, which was to get my motorcycle uh, up to speed to be able to pass inspection. Mm. I needed a new switch for the headlight, which that was pretty straightforward and not very satisfying. But the um, the brake pads, I have dual brakes on the front, and the brake pads were completely funky and rusted. And that was like real work, you know, like they you have to figure out how to knock this pin out and you've got to put pressure on the calipers so that the brake fluid moves enough out of the way that these old brake pads can drop out. And mm. it, um, yeah, it's very satisfying. I mean, I, I see the connection between darkroom work and everything else and doing all these things with your hands. Um, oh, you know, yeah. I mean, if the people are probably, I don't know, some people would have read, um, Oh, who's it? Um, that Matthew Crawford book, uh, Shop Classes Soulcraft, mm. and he has a follow-up book to it as well. And both of them just talk about the that physical connection between using your hands, building and making things, and you know, just that there's nothing quite like it. Where do you work? Where do you do um, the work? Uh, some of it I was able to do last the last night. I did the switch just in the garage space that I used, but I was out on the street right in front of my house here uh, mm -hmm. doing it. This morning, which is, you know, kind of fun, too. You're laying on the ground and banging with a hammer and doing all that kind of stuff. And, you know, get people walk by and, you know, some people nod knowingly <laughs> as they're going to work on their cars or whatever. And, well, you don't see that nearly as much as you used to. That's for sure. Yeah, that's true. In my neighborhood, there's quite a bit of it. There's a, I have neighbors who are constantly mm. building up a couple cars and doing things. So I, I get to see more of it here. But, yeah, it's not like it was in the 70s and 80s, I right. or maybe before that, too. But... Yeah, it's certainly uh, gone down. What about you? What are you up to? Well, I've been working on uh, this next show, which is Andre Leon's show. Uh, so Great. I spent a, a good part of today uh, working on that. And I, I actually posted a little picture on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, uh, you know, just showing the the editing process a little bit. So Show just, that you're making, that you're working. Yeah, let everybody know that I'm not slacking off. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah, it was. Well, we're not at all. We we recorded another one on Monday. We're recording another one on Saturday. Yeah, we're stacking and, uh, them up, which is nice. Yeah, yeah so we're we're making progress. Yeah, uh, and we and we had a very intense conversation with Andre Leon, uh, you know, war photographer, documentary photographer. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Um, I mean, certainly for me. When I think of, uh, you know, photojournalist, war photographer, I can't help but think about the, um, oh, about that uh, movie Salvador that came out in the 80s by um, Oliver Stone with, um, uh, what's his name, was playing a real, James Woods was playing, oh. uh, they're based on the Richard Boyle, actual photojournalist, and they go down there and there's that kind of like, man with a camera running into conflict zones and then of course more recently tim hetherington and uh, you know restrepo and right what was the other movie oh corangal yeah mm -hmm. so but i but i've never other than that i mean i never directly spoke to someone who was doing it and um and i know you i think it comes out a little bit in the podcast you were 
uh, spending some time over uh, in the over Middle East, in the Middle East yeah. photographing, and but it wasn't n- nothing that was ever on my radar as far as thinking of a, a thing to do. And and I don't want to I don't want to at all compare what I was doing to what Andre Lone has been through. Uh, I photographed the first Intifada, and it was um it was not nearly as violent as anything that's that's going on today. So no, I meant yeah. more. I didn't mean that. I meant it more in terms of. Even the idea of being a photojournalist, where oh, you absolutely. would go out and mm-hmm. you know get a story and photograph things and that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I tried to live the life a little bit, you know, uh, taking my photographs to uh, Agency France Press and Reuters, mm-hmm. and even traveling around with some other crazy and wild photojournalists, and you know, who uh, definitely like to um, they definitely like to party very hard after mm. a day in the field. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well. Like there's no tomorrow, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I believe in in uh, our episode uh, maybe twelve is with Tom Roma. He mentions that when he first thought about getting into photography, he imagined that's what he would do—that he'd become a photojournalist and go to Vietnam and right. do all of that. So it's it's not as uncommon. It's just maybe amongst uh, being around people in art school and stuff, I don't run across it as much. Yeah, no, and uh, what what is interesting is. Our next episode, and I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, we, we have a photographer who went to a, a, a somewhat conceptual art school who's doing documentary work as well. Mm-hmm. And, and that conversation has come up as you know, a few times. Yeah, absolutely. And but as everyone's about to hear, Andre Leon is, you know, an amazing guy and obviously very heartfelt and affected by what he's seen and what he's going through. And um, and still going out there and doing it again you know so yeah there's a lot lot to be heard it's it's a very intricate sometimes complicated and like you said very heartfelt conversation um and you do have to kind of stay with it a little bit to 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 get the the full idea of what he's saying he's very philosophical when he speaks yeah, and absolutely. and there's a lot of a, a lot of um story and reference that he brings up as he's going along and it's rewarding. So, um, you know, what I'm saying is do stay with it because um, what comes out of it is, is very rewarding to listen to. So enjoy the show, everyone. Yes. And uh, I'll see you at the Marble Hill Camera and Supper Club this weekend, where we'll also be recording an episode with future guest Claudio in Alaska. That's right. All right. So uh, we'll talk soon. Just, just a second, bro. Sure. Oh, no Hi. I had, a, I had an accident with my bike a few days ago and a few weeks ago, and I'm still recovering. Oh, no. On the yeah. motorcycle. Motorcycle, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom told us that you were uh, Tom told us that you were uh, riding the motorcycle kind of wild and free there in Sao Paulo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not anymore. Not anymore? Oh, what happened? <laughs> well, I had an accident, and... Yeah, and the and the motorcycle is broken. Oh, that's terrible. What about you? I'm uh, broken. broken. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, my arm is low, but I'm recovering well now. Oh, uh, good, good. Yeah. And this is Andre Leon. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, we're, we're thrilled to be uh, speaking with Andre Leon all the way in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and we're calling from Rutherford, New Jersey today. How are you doing, Andre, besides the fact that you just yeah. were in a motorcycle yeah. accident? I'm doing well, yeah. 
Yeah. I'm, well, besides what, that. What, yeah. the, um, the first time we tried to get in touch with you, your uh, Skype said you were in Tanzania. Yeah, I was in Tanzania doing a work with um, a group of doctors from uh, Cornell University mm. in New York. Um, they are like neurosurgeons. They went to Tanzania to, you know, give training for local doctors because, um, like neuro neurosurgeon mm-hmm. sur- surgery in in, um, in Africa, it's a very scarce thing. They don't have much of it. So the, um, the this doctor he called me and he saw the work that I had done for. Uh, with the uh, um, partnership with the International Committee of the Red Cross, mm-hmm. showing like how dangerous it is to be a doctor or you know a healthcare worker in uh, conflict areas. Mm. So he liked it and they say, okay, could you come to uh, you know with us to Tanzania and do this work with us? And say yes, you know, and it was amazing, mm. you know, to see to be there. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, so they were training doctors, and you were there photographing, and yeah, I was photographing more like the case, the hospital, mm-hmm. you know, the hospital itself. I wasn't I wasn't there to make like a promotion work for the work that the doctors are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was more like concentrated in the conditions of the patients in the in the hospital, outside the hospital, uh, you know, society itself, mm-hmm. and. Um, of course, I did a few, uh, pictures of the doctors doing uh, performing the work too, but um, that was that was not uh, the focus of the for that. It's that's an area of the world that we hardly ever get to see. I mean, I have no idea what to expect from photographs of Tanzania. Yeah, well, I mean, Tanzania. It's actually, I mean, Tanzania is luckily one a very peaceful country. Mm. It's a country that they don't have. A war that they are actually a country, very generous country. They receive a lot of refugees from many places in Africa. Mm. Like right now, Tanzania is receiving thousands and thousands of refugees from Burundi. Mm. Um, it's a very welcoming uh, country. It's a country that is um, politicians are actually. It's one of the few countries that have been in the world where people are actually, you know, genuinely. Uh, satisfied with the politicians, you know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. used to live like in twenty for twenty years in Norway, and people there were are not satisfied with the politicians, you know. Yeah. But in Tanzania, apparently, like the the president right now, it's very um, open about how difficult it is to be a president in a country like you know an African country. Mm. But yet, how much if they do it well? How much improvement they can get just by doing, you know, well. Mm. Wow. You know, it's a, it, it was an amazing country. I, I I hadn't been there before, and you have of course the tourism industry like the Kilimanjaro, the Serengeti. Right. Uh, well, you know, it was a pleasure, and yet see that, for example, you know, in in many areas, I mean, many countries you go to work, and not like not just war countries, but um, you are always, in, you know, have to apply for authorization to to photograph things that people are not happy with, and you know it's very difficult to get access mm. to those things. I mean, in U.S. during the Occupy Wall Street, you know, in, back in 2011, journalists had problems too there. 
you know, just because of people like young people sitting, you know, like blocking the passage of uh, Wall Street people. Yeah. Like in, in, in Tanzania, uh, I never felt like uh, people were, oh, you were photographing the ugliest of the ugliest of the ugliest. Say, so, oh, listen, you're really, do you care about that? Fine, you know. They said, let me show you, you know. And, all, it, and, it, and that brings my, me, like, up to me as a, as a photographer doing that, the responsibility to care about the dignity of these people very much. I mean, we are always obliged to care, to be at, to pay attention, to pay respect to dignity of those people that we photograph. But yet, when you are welcomed, you know, people are open to you to say, okay, cool, I can show you, you know. I'm not afraid of showing you how difficult it is to be here sometimes, mm-hmm. yet, you know, yet we are a peaceful country. So that reminds me very much. So it was, you know, you have to be sensible and then, you know, use the best you can of your knowledge and sense and values and do the best work possible. So it sounds like they were very generous and, and welcoming. Very generous country, yeah. yeah. Uh, we just had on uh, the previous guest on the show was uh, Matt Stewart, who I think you met in Istanbul, right? Yeah, one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, <laughs> he, he was telling us stories about how uh, when he goes out and photographs in certain neighborhoods in London, that he gets a ticket from the anti-terror police just for being out with a camera. They just like they give him a ticket just to like acknowledge that they've seen him or found him and doing something suspicious, you know, photographing. So. And that's yeah. that's in London. I mean, there can still yeah. be insanity in all these Western countries for the simple act of taking a camera out. It is a very, very, I mean, here in Sao Paulo, just a few days ago, I, w- I entered to a park. And in Brazil, we, I mean, we have criminality, but we don't have terrorism so far, at least. Mm. But um, I went to a park, a public park with my camera, and I was photographing, and then a security person came to me and said, listen, you are not allowed to use this camera here. And, but then I looked around, and I saw, like, every person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And then I said, well, what is the difference? I mean, I'm, I'm using my camera, but everyone here is using, like, mobile phone to photograph. With mobile phones, you can, but this camera, you can't. You know, it's a confusion in the people's mind. Mm. Because, I mean, if I was a terrorist, so now I know. Like, You'd use your iPhone. Yourself yeah. as a, an iPhone and dress yourself as, you know, anyone else, a tourist or whatever. Right. Don't if, use like a, pro, a professional camera. You look stupid. It, it's not going to be the most <laughs> obvious photographer, right? Exactly. But, but, but actually, that's, um, that's a, a good segue. When a, when a security guard <laughs> approaches you to tell you you're not photographed, you've been a war photographer and you've been in some of the hottest zones uh, mm-hmm. photographing some of the most violent things going on yeah do you just look at him and kind of laugh a little i mean i, I imagine the the feeling of threat might might be very low yeah well you know i i, I normally don't feel like that but i mean i i, I was just in, interested to hear from him like say listen you know who did give you those directions you know that saying that cameras are not allowed but mobile phones are i mean but, but that makes something very interesting in the end of the day that we think that photography today is, has different meaning, a completely different meaning for people, you know, in um, how they perceive it, the value that they give it. Like, 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 for example, you know, 
the, the, the cultural impact that we are talking about. For example, let's say if I have to go from A to B, okay, then I, can, I have different choices to take me from A to B. I can walk, I can take a bicycle, I can take my bike, a tractor, whatever, right? I can travel in many, many different ways. Each way I take, I anyway, the way I choose to, to, to bring me from A to B will have like an environmental impact. People say, oh, you are using too much diesel. Mm -hmm. You are, you know, burning too much fuel. You are now, you know, we will see like the political, environmental, you know, impact of that. Possibly we will have also a cultural impact, but we won't think about that. So the, the tool that I choose to take me from A to B will have an impact. So in photography today, many people, they keep saying that, oh, the tool that you choose to make photography won't have an impact in the end of the, the result. You know, it's just a tool. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I disagree with that. I think that the, the tool we, we have, we choose to make our work to happen, they will have a cultural impact in how people will perceive photography. I'm not saying that we, we should stop, you know, like prohibit the certain kinds of impact to happen. You know, I'm, op I'm op open for everything, but everyone who takes the choice to choose to use this or that, he should know that, okay, I'm contributing for this impact to take place in society right now. Do I want to be part of that? I mean, there was a, a period where people were using a lot of Instagram, you know, yet too, you know, a lot of Instagramming serious pictures of, you know, which, you know, it's, it's difficult. Mm. It's, a, it's a difficult choice, which in the end comes, takes us all together and maybe together in one place where we feel like, whoa, now it's too late to talk about the results, you know, the consequences of what we have done. I'm more like for say, okay, let's do, let's do everything, but let's accept what are you doing? What am I doing? What is he or her doing? You know, identify how different we are doing it and then discuss among ourselves the, the responsibility that each of us are ready to take. I mean, I mean it's, uh, I mean, and then you know, like, then we will have possibly the, the, the guard understanding that, okay, everyone here is making photography or which purpose does these people have? What can this photography being be used for? You know, I think that that, that, that interests me more. Like. Yeah, and I also suspect they, because of how ubiquitous uh, camera, you know, people taking pictures with their phones, right? How ubiquitous that is. The, the guard doesn't see it as threatening, right? Whereas someone with a, a serious professional looking piece of equipment, uh, even though it's, it's, you know, more ridiculous to think that the person standing out is the threatening person, right? That, that, he, that he sees that as more powerful in a sense, right? You're talking about the responsibility of what we're all doing. Seeing the professional, maybe he feels more threatened by someone he thinks might be doing something more serious. Well, I think the threat there is only one, is the opinion. Because he knows that he sees, let's say for example, he sees a father or a mother photographing a child, you say, they have no opinion. They're just like, as being, a, as parenting, you know, as, as being a parent would not 
take an opinion, you know. But that guy, he has an opinion about the world. Mm. And this opinion will, be, will appear somewhere. So that's what people are afraid of. So they, they, this is the cultural result of it, that people start th seeing photography as just photography, not as an opinion, not as a standpoint, not as a question, not as a, the result of some, uh, as an, of an insatisfaction. Sure. As for example, okay, I'm unhappy with reality. Let's say that. I will photograph that reality that I don't like. This is a, an important point, you know. So when you go to a park and then a guard, a, a security guard sees you and says, listen, you are not allowed to have an opinion here. That's the problem. Mm, you know, yeah. that's the cultural end of that, mm -hmm. which is like, it's, uh, you know, very, uh, it's complicated. Yeah. 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 And you start talking more about speech. Yeah. Speech. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It reminds me, I, I may have said it before on the podcast, but the, in 1993, I was in Berlin, not mm -hmm. long after the wall came down. And I was there with my uh, five by seven Deerdorf, you know, camera. I was on the tripod and the bellows are out and I'm getting under the dark cloth. And I was in the former East and uh, I had a number of people come up and thank me for coming to Germany because they thought I was doing something serious and I was looking at the East and the, and if I had just been a tourist with a, you know, little point and shoot 35 millimeter camera, they probably would have ignored me. But seeing that I was seriously looking and, you know, looking for stuff there, uh, people appreciated it, at least at that time, you know. You know, this is something really, really interesting because it goes up like I can take that thing to a question that a lot of people make today and probably will make me, but let's take it now. Let's say, why is it so dangerous for war photographers to work in war zones today? Why? Why is that? That it's so difficult for, I mean, in my experience, let, as, you, as you said, for example, you were just by, you know, in Berlin after the fall of the wall and people saw your camera that looked very professional and they said, okay, cool. Here we have someone who has a tool and probably the avenues to show the world who we are. Mm -hmm. Maybe we don't really like him, but we need him. Okay, they saw us like the, a professional journalist, a professional photographer, as someone that they not really necessarily would agree, like, you know, but they said, okay, we, we need this person. So let's treat him well, at least. Let's tolerate him at a, in, to certain points, you know. But today, with mobile phones and an account on Facebook, anyone who has a mobile phone and an account on Facebook, this person is not just anymore a citizen. Mm -hmm. This person is a communicator. You know, he communicates to the world exactly what he wants to communicate to the world. So why do they need professional photographers and professional journalists as before? They don't. Right. Like, they would see you more as, uh, as an instrument of some of a large newspaper or of a corporation. It's like a more suspicious view then. Exactly. And then, like, for example, they will create exactly the kind of news that they need, they want, not even they need, but they, you know, probably they want to have out. Like ISIS, for example, you know, the Islamic State. The Islamic State, they, they are, that, that thing went so far 
that the slum stage, they are pro- more than professional doing that. You know, they don't need journalists there. They only need journalists. The only use for journalists for in the Islamic State is like for money, money exchange, and for terror spreading, as they did with Jim. And, and so, but this is something really, really important for us to think about. Like before, they saw us as bad enough, okay, we don't like them, we may disagree with them, but we need them. Today, like, you know, when Facebook, when YouTube, when Instagram or Twitter, they allow or they do not have means, proper means, effective, effective means to block, you know, this kind of um, information being spread on their, you know, platforms. So journalists will be like unnecessary. They will be like unwelcome. And it's very different from the, place, from the time when you were there mm-hmm. in Berlin. And, um, but at the end of the day, we go again, you know, in a, in, a, in, a new, in a new cross, like say, okay, good, let's block this. But is that censorship? Is that how, how far we will, will we go like with the censorship, which is quite, it, it is this era of communication, of free communication. It, it's a moment like technology, the expectations that we have of freedom, the, um, you know, all, you know, connected with um, the intentions of people doing bad to each other. It's like, it's a very, since, you know, very, very fragile moment. You know, you mentioned that um, even earlier, you might have been unwelcome, but you were allowed to work, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think even earlier than that, in the late 80s, I remember, I photographed um, the first intifada on the West Bank. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just uh, that I was allowed to work. I was welcomed. I mean, I, I, I was seen as you're going to give voice to the voiceless. You're going to show our side of the story. And I think all that has changed. Um, and a lot, a lot of that does have to do with a few corporations owning a lot of the media outlets. And as you said, already having an idea of what they want to say before they even get the story or the pictures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and they can communicate themselves. They can produce themselves what they want to show. They have the, the tools, they have the avenues, and they have the public. Right. Well, you know, and, and very, very accessible. You know, it's not something that you have today to do long-term training, not for the visual aspect of that, not for the, you know, journalistic aspect of it. Right. You know, like, it's... Um, we saw a lot of that with Arab Spring and the use of Twitter, right? Exactly. I think that probably, you know, Probably the last country that welcomed photographers were Libya. Probably. After that, I can't think of any other country in confront in confrontation now in a, in a conflict that are welcoming photographers or will in the future welcome photographers. Even Libya today, they are not welcoming photographers at all. Mm. I, I mean, I was in Libya from the beginning to the end. And I went back to to Libya many, many times. And the last time I was there, I wasn't a welcome by people that I first welcomed me with open arms and hearts. That also speaks to, uh, since we're mentioning Libya and the the conflict and you're covering there, do you want to speak at all about that exhibition I think you put together, Almost Dawn? And that was 
seven photographers and work during yeah. that during that period, right? Yeah, there was almost on Libya. There was um, a tribute for Chris Hundros and Tim Hetherington. Mm-hmm. First, I mean, you know, the title, Almost on Libya, because that was a text that Christopher Shiva, you know, from, from the New York Times, he wrote about their death, the day that they died in, in Misrata. And it was, like, amazing because he wrote that it was almost done in Libya. And when the war ended in Libya, it was almost done too, you know. And there was this moment... Maybe you know the the the, the, darks, the dark time of war, and they finally would have the time to wake up in a new Libya, mm. you know, after Gaddafi's death. So once the war ended, they started fighting or pointing fingers to see my city, my people, my family suffered most. My city, my family, my people were the most brave. And so on. You were the the the, wor- the worst cowards that left the city, and they started like you know, mourning and uh, accusing each other. And then I, I came with the idea of making an exhibition in Libya, inviting other photographers who worked there in several parts of the country. Some of them I never met, like uh, you know, in in area, like for example, Christopher Morris, Chris Morris. He's a good friend, but uh, we never met in Libya because mm. he was working in Tripoli and I was working in Benghazi and uh, in Misrata. So, but I, I wanted to have as many point of views as much pos- as possible. And yet, all of them should be foreigners because we would like, so this is how we saw your war. Does it, is it reality for you? Was that reality for you? Was, did you see it happening? And then, you know, did you feel it at the same way that we did? Because, like, in one sense, they, they know, uh, I mean, we actually know how the public sees the war. They mean it, you know, we basically know that, but they, they don't. They, I mean, they don't really know. If, if I come to him and say, what do you think that I'm feeling about that? So I, I, my idea was to show them how we felt, how we saw it, how the world saw it, and how would they now make better or worse than that? You know, leave for them the decision to take, like to take the decision. How better do I want to do it, or how worse will I do it? And what was the feedback like? It was amazing. You know, it's uh, we talked a lot. I talked a lot with the commanders and. Uh, with doctors, with um, women. But in the end, what, what I saw there, when they lose the faith on, on, in the dialogue, in dialogue, you know, it doesn't matter how well you want to do, and uh, they lost the faith in dialogue, which is very, very, very sad. And, and they came and they said, oh, yeah, 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 but I don't have anyone to dialogue with. Mm. Like there was this girl, I met a girl there, and then she, oh, yeah, you are, are you on Facebook? Yes, yeah, sure, I'm on Facebook. Because, like, outside, you are not allowed to, um, a man to talk with a girl, a foreign man, even worse. A, ma- a foreign man with a lot of tattoos, you know, a strange haircut. <laughs> very much, much, even 
more difficult. But anyhow, so I'm on Facebook. Yeah, sure, I'm on Facebook. She, she started talking with me on Facebook. And she started saying, oh, you know what? I think that the problem in Libya will happen when men and women start talking about sexual violence, both against women and against men. Mm. And she was all talking about that. And say, well, but you know, why don't we talk about it then? You know, she said, because I will be killed. Mm. You know, because I will be killed. So she doesn't have faith on, you know, especially after the war, when people say that, listen, man, I just lost my family. Our city is destroyed. And you want to bring up now sexual violence? Come on. Mm. Yeah. A lot of uh, those issues that I wanted to take up, but after a war, um, you know, people are very traumatized, and uh, yeah. But in the, in the like the picture, the pictures in uh, almost all Libya, they didn't have. They were not explaining where the pictures were taken, when you know how, whatever. There was like where Libya, when last war, you know. Right. <sighs> yeah. Well, uh, maybe we'll just backtrack a little bit. And uh, you're in Brazil now, but and you're in Sao Paulo, but that's that's not you were where you were born. You were born slightly outside of the city, right? Slightly outside. Yeah. Yeah. Like I mean, uh, I don't know in miles because I'm a horrible mathematician. You know. <laughs> you can just say in kilometers and three hundred. Three hundred kilometers. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And then, uh, but then you, you moved away, you went in your 20s, you moved to Norway, you were saying? Then first I went to Switzerland, mm. and I stayed for a while in Switzerland, and, um, and then I, w- I moved to Norway, and I lived in Norway for about 20 years then, yeah. And that's where you first started getting into photography, is that right? That was when I started photography, yes. I was already 30 years old when I started photography, when I first started doing it. Right. There's um. So, uh, a previous guest also, Giancarlo T. Roma, was wrote uh, an article about you on Vice. Uh, he traveled with you for a little bit and wrote this this great uh, biopic on you. And <laughs> yeah, and, and so there's there's a lot of the the little details that are filled in that article, and we'll, we'll link to that to the show. But you had that big gap between six and thirty, basically, right? Six when you have got that first camera. And then thirty when you picked up the camera again. Yeah, yeah. And and so so what caused you to pick up that camera at thirty? You know, I had a rough childhood, youth here in Brazil, a lot of drugs, and um, and then I I had to leave Brazil because if I stayed here, I would end up very very bad. You know, with crime and bad behavior. No, you know, no. I had no hope for. A better future, whatever. So, I meant. I said, okay, let's go out. And then I, I moved to. I went with like fifty dollars, man. I had no money, whatever. And I, I managed to. Someone gave me a ticket because this, she saw how troubled I was. You, a young troubled person. And she said, said, okay, I'll buy you a ticket to Switzerland, mm. where I had a friend. And then I. I, I, when I came to Norway after a while, you know, and, and I was very weak because of drugs and because of all the things. And in Norway and in Switzerland, I started working as a um, lumberjack, you know, cutting yeah. trees. And that took me, say, man, with my physical strength, I, I was like no match for that. I said, wow. But then I said, okay, no, now I have to work better. Now I have to work better. And, and then in the end, I said, wow, I'm getting strong with it. I like the idea. 
And I understood that drugs wouldn't help me with nothing of that. So I stayed a long period without using anything. And suddenly I was, I, I was in Norway and I had an important relationship and my relationship broke. And, uh, and I said, oh man, maybe I will use heroin again. Mm. You know, I thought about doing it. And I went to the place in Norway because they stay there, you know, in Trondheim where I used to live. And said, okay, let me use, uh, let me see, you know. And, but I said, oh, will I really? I mean, I was photographing like before, like landscapes, blah, 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 you know. <laughs> yeah. My, my important thing. And, and I was to becoming a father, you know. My, a new girlfriend was pregnant after a month that we knew each other. Oh, wow. And that made me feel crazy. And then I said, okay, I go there. But, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't say, no, come on, Andrea, I've been really doing that. Come on, you're just you're not going to use it. You know, put yourself together. But I start talking with these people. And then they said, oh, I have a camera. And they stay there with the camera. So in the end, they say, okay, start photographing these people from a very narrow, near, 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 in their lives, in their intimacy, you know, in the fears and so on. But in the end, that work was recognized. And, uh, and I said, this is what I want to do. And I started, like, working more and more and more with that. And, uh, and then in the end, like, I, I felt, okay, good. I'm, this is the tradition, the tradition of phot uh, photography. And then I, I, I remember seeing a photography, a photograph of James Nathway. Mm. He did in uh, Indonesia. Years ago, many years before that. That, that, I saw that picture many, many, many years ago, but I remember that picture and um, there was a guy, a, a mob, and was one individual was ready to cut the head of someone, you know, in a mob. And I saw that picture and I could like, you could, you can position yourself inside the mob and say, wow, I'm only here because I'm the photo photographer, let's say. This is not photography anymore. You know, when you are in that such kind of situations, you go beyond photography. You are seeing something very, very traumatic, very, you know, in the lives of many people, in your own life, in the life, you know, in the world. And the entire world will be traumatized because of that. So this is beyond photography. And then, you know, then I understood that this is what I want, this tradition, I want to follow this tradition and uh, expose myself to these kind of things to as much as I was ready to expose myself again to be addicted to heroin. And, it, go uh, it goes back a little bit to that idea of responsibility when you were talking about Nakwe's work and, and then you being ready to do this, right? You're you're, because you're, you have to take on the responsibility of not only then witnessing it, photographing it, but then sharing it. Yeah, exactly. Sharing that trauma. Yeah, exactly. So that happened, and um, and I start doing it, and um, I have some saves, the savings that I had in my bank account because I was working before. I had a normal work, and that happened, you know. And here, here we are. And. Uh, of course, you yeah you you've been working for years and uh, among other 
Uh, your work has been get out there, been published, you've been doing exhibitions. And uh, it's also worth noting that uh, you're the first uh, Latin American to get the Robert Kappa gold medal, too, which I understand they give out for uh, people who have been in situations where they required exceptional courage. And I, do you want to speak to that at all? I mean, what what, what was the specific circumstances surrounding that? Well, this was about the work in Libya. Okay. But you know, like uh, this is something about prices. You know, I don't, I don't really like um, go after prices. And I think that today the New York Times published a really interesting article by another fellow photographer, Anastasia uh, Tyler Lind. Mm. She wrote about how representative those prices actually are. Mm-hmm. And most, uh, you know, most of them are Westerners, men and white. Very few are women. Very few are Asian or African. Uh, I have a friend of mine in in Somalia, and he won once the World Press for a, a, a category. I don't remember which one, but he was a Somali. He wasn't allowed to go to to Amsterdam to receive his prize. Uh, yeah. And um, anyhow, it like for example, as you said, I, I'm the first Latin America to receive uh, the Robert Kappa gold medal. But this is, I mean, representativity is, is something very important that I I care about those prices, all those prices. You see, like, how many prizes did the New York Times won this year? Mm-hmm. I mean, is the New York Times really so much better than many other, you know, is that is there... Yeah, how representative is that, truly, yeah. You know, like the New York Times, well, like the blum, you know, anyhow. But um, even... It also, I would also think it reinforces this idea that we have the romantic idea of the lone photographer out there amongst the world. And uh, I think that often the people that you see that are winning these awards, it, it reinforces that stereotype of like the kind of rugged, you know, crazy loner out there jumping in trenches and getting things yeah. done right but that, i mean this is uh, but of course like well, i think that the, this there was a uh, um, one uh, one important aspect of those prices that we should be following up now is like how uh, sanitized photojournalism is becoming right now for example let, let's take for example uh, Matt nielsen the danish photographer amazing photographer person I love so much who did last year he won the world press uh, with a story about uh, uh, homo- uh, homosexuals having you know being um, arrested or persecuted in, in Russia you know so he deserved absolutely the work the work was amazing he had he sent several pictures for a category that probably reportage and then the jury chose one picture and gave the word press to one of the pictures to his reportage. And then the, the, the story was about violence against homosexuals in, in Russia. And then the pictures that he sent, some of them show actually actual violence against homosexuals. But the picture who got the prize recognized showed love between two persons. <laughs> yeah. You know, but then, for example, if I'm, on the, if I'm a reader, and I, I buy a newspaper, and then I see a picture of two individuals sharing love. 
I would say, wow, Russia must be the best place ever for me to go to because, I'm, right. you know, why did they choose a picture that showed love instead of a picture that showed violence if we're talking about violence against homosexuals in Russia? Or, for example, and this is something like the WordPress this year had the same. I mean, we talked about refugees and so on. But all the pictures that, a lot of the pictures that won prizes today, they don't look like pictures at all. They look like, you know, something totally glorified mm. with Photoshop, with the blah, 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 a lot of things. Yet, like, for example, if you see the pictures that won the Robert Kappa this year, you know, with the Syrian photographer on the hospital in, in, um, in Damascus, you see, do you want to understand why this... Why do we have many refugees coming to Europe now? Take a look at those pictures. Those are the pictures that will show you how afraid, how painful, how everything, how you know you would be feeling if you were in their situations. You know, in the situations that these people are living. Because I mean, it's uh, the Senate. It, it's it's a very we have the responsibility over the impact, the cultural impact we are creating. It is a very difficult, like say, we just talked here now how dangerous it is to go to war zones because we are not accepted there because they don't need us anymore. The responsibility that, you know, we should take. Mm -hmm. and, in, and then we are actually leaving off people suffering, you know. That, it, in the end of the day, these people are suffering and that's, you know, our industry is like about trying to make the people understand that, okay, man, let's find a solution for that. Let that make our questions better. And I, I don't think that over sanitized, over romantic pictures that will like, people can watch, see that picture and at the same time, eat cornflakes happily. Yeah. You know, that, I, I don't think I, I disagree with that. I, 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 you know how when you first travel to another country that's not your own, you you learn more about the country you've just come from because you realize what you've accepted as normal is not normal everywhere else, right? So when I, when I was first going to Germany and going to Berlin, I started reading um, Der Spiegel, that magazine Der Spiegel, mm -hmm. and uh, I was... I, that was the first time I saw news events being covered by a German magazine that I knew from this U.S. news, and I was, you know, it was kind of shocking to see what they would show and what the, you know, what they would bring and what they would make you aware of. That the American press was completely sanitized in comparison, and uh, and of course that's going on everywhere, right? But this is going global, you know, like. Uh, just like in, in, this is like the media in the sense, like entertain, you know. We, we, we should be more, uh, I mean, I, uh, sorry for saying so, you know, we should, we should nothing. Who am I for <laughs> saying we should, you know what I mean? But like, for, I was, um, I don't watch like the series, TV series, you know, I don't, don't, don't watch them, but it was amazing. I was living, I was in Italy and I was talking, oh, how people in Italian, Italians, they complain very much about the crisis, the crisis, the crisis, the crisis, the crisis, the economical crisis. And then they said, okay, how do you explain that? Huh? Oh, do you see this series, The House of Cards? I say, yeah, I say, no, but I know about it. It's the same. If you see it, you will understand Italy. Okay, fine. So then I went to Norway. And Norway, the Christ, the Christ, the Christ, the Christ. Then I say, listen, what do you think about The House of Cards? 
that's it. That explains our situation. Mm. In Brazil now, with the crisis that we're having, people use a house of cards as say, this is house of cards. You know, a house of cards is too little. You see, like people, they are getting like must fight. Like they think they, they think that one fiction series of another country can explain the reality of everything. And then if the New York Times is winning prizes in Europe, in Latin America, in America, in Asia, in everything, photojournalists they will understand. So that's it. That's it. You know, I agree that the New York Times, they have to work as hard as they can to get prices because it's a very important newspaper and that gives them credibility among readers and gives them credibility to people who buy and announce on them. It's, and they are doing for by far, by far probably one of the best works in the world. But how can we combine that necessity of having a very strong, very Based, quality-based newspaper and professionals and yet not think that this is the absolutely true. Yeah, you know? It, you know, it has a lot to do with making things easily consumable. People can wrap their heads around a TV series like House of Cards because they can sit in their living room, they can take it in, They can un- the storylines are written for them to understand and to follow and they can get attached to the characters and so that becomes a, a substitute, a surrogate for understanding problems, in a sense, because the problems themselves are so big um, and so complicated. And this, and I think it's the same with with what's being printed, with the photojournalism that's being printed. It's it's more consumable to see the the romance of the gay couple as opposed to seeing the actual violence that's happening. Yeah, you know, it's a. Um, I think we 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 create problems for ourselves when we like. Do not sit down slowly and then talk about responsibility. Which responsibility do you have? I think that, okay, New York Times, okay, whatever, okay, who else, you know? You want to do like that, fine, very good, good luck, you know? I can see that you have the best intentions, I can see that you put in the best efforts, you are putting the amazing professionals together, but let's talk about responsibility of that, how, how, how to share, you know? It's uh, very important. Yeah. yeah. Well, that might be a good segue to talk about what having uh, a voice or having a, a way of talking, using your work to be outside of that structure. And um, maybe we can talk a little bit about your decision to come back to Brazil and uh, the work that you made that wound up being um, edited and sequenced together by Thomas Roma that wound up being, I don't know how to say it properly, but it's Revoke. How do you, how do you pronounce the title of the show? Revogo? Revogo. Okay. Yeah. Revogo. And so that here's an instance where you've been working and going into, going into war zones, going to places that were you're on assignment. And now you're, it's a probably a terrible term that a lot of people use, but the self assignment, this idea of going to make work, uh, without for your own personal uh, reasons and you went to back to Sao Paulo and um, I don't want to say too much about it I want to hear your your take on it but I, I do want to put out one thing is that I read you said that the time the homicide rate in Brazil exceeded the total persons killed in the 12 armed conflicts that were going on at the same time so that going back to Brazil it wasn't you were going back somewhere where there was a similarity to the environments you'd come from, but now you are at home, right? Right. 
was like um, I come from a very rough neighborhood. I went. I was being dragged in criminality when I was a child, you young, you know, in my teenagers. Mm. My brother went. You know, my brother is still there in this world today. Many of my friends, they are criminals or they died in very early age. And um, and then I moved to, to a country. You can imagine how different is that situation uh, and an Norwegian life, you know. It's uh, completely different. And then I went after that with more maturity to war zones again. And then I started coming back to Brazil. And it was amazing because when I came back to Brazil, people started asking me, uh, which is war is worse, ours or theirs war? Their wars, you know? And that was like not just people from the very violent and poor neighborhoods in Brazil, but, you know, middle-class rich people asked the same questions. You know, that was a common question in many, in, in many spheres. So I started saying, okay, this is something that if I, will, I grew up here, I will probably have the same question in myself. Mm. Which war is worse? I mean, the only war that I know is mine. I don't know other people's wars, right? Yeah. What I decided to do then was to photograph violence in Brazil or photograph Brazilian violence, culture, whatever, from the, with the method of war photography. And then in the end of the in the end of the project, take a standpoint. Do we live uh, in a war situation or not? You know, what do I call war uh, for a war photography method? That was my the method. I'm not saying that everyone follows a method, but my method is like first of all, like physical proximity, which with the things that I photograph. Second, political understanding. You know, a political point of view of what I'm photographing, and the third, like an emotional, you know, empathy with the things that I photograph. So I, that's the three basic things that I use to photograph things war. So then I did it in Brazil during three years. Photograph like people, like many of the pictures that I, I have in this exhibition. If you show, you say, "Wow, you know, it's worse of many wars," because I went to the very, you know, critical situations here, and uh, but my 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 opinion in the end of the day is like, of course, we don't have a war in Brazil, but what we have in Brazil is a chronicle case of delinquency, mm. and chronicle delinquency. I understood that has many similarities with war. The first similarity, probably the most important similarity, is that everyone in a war or in a country like Brazil is afraid of dying anytime, anywhere, in a violent way. You know, to have a violent death. Mm. You know, that creates in these people a stress of life. They react in a way that is violent, in even like to protect themselves against this possibility of dying in a violent way. So they get, they buy weapons, or, or they buy, you know, anything that they can hurt other people with. Martial arts, you know, whatever. They fight, they drink, they kill each other, well, they treat people bad. And I imagine they're prepared, if with if they're prepared to use it, too. It's like, you they're know... Prepared to use it. And uh, not just prepared to use it, they have necessity to use it. Because, I mean, so listen, 
not using it means that I'm wrong in my in my feelings. It, it creates like a con a conflict, a emotional conflict. Oh, I prepared myself for the worst, but the worst never happens. Wow, you know, am I wrong? Mm. What's happening, right? But that's uh, the, the the difference. It's an important difference between a war situation and what we have yet in Brazil or in many other countries like Brazil is that we still have the institutions, we still have the persons, we still have the conditions, we still have the, the time and intention to solve things through dialogue. Hey, how much trauma does it take to the point where you stop participating in social structure, in municipalities, in the idea of sending your kids to school and paying taxes and doing all the, the things that keep you know, a, a city together? Well, this is something interesting because in a war situation, the first sphere of public of life that you you leave is the public space. Is the public debate? Is the public space like you won't go to a park, you won't go to a, to school. In cases like Syria, extreme cases like Syria, you won't go to your country. You leave your country. You know the public area is so destruct destroyed that you can't stay in your own country. In Brazil, we leave public schools. The public system is it's completely collapsing right now. We leave, you know, the public, the, 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 the open debate. So people are, you know, it's today much safer. Like the, they pay taxes and yet they have to pay for their kids to go to a private school. They Or they pay taxes and yet they have to pay a a uh, private plan for health insurance or it's easier instead of having an assembly assembly with uh, your neighbors it's easier to discuss with anyone that you never will meet around on facebook you know that um uh, is um the public debate and the public space the public relationships are left behind the only ones left yet to use public, the public, are those who are not empowered, economically, economically empowered to use the private, you know, tools or services. To have choices. Around. Right. Yeah. And now we, st we started off this conversation where we were talking about your instance of being in the park and uh, the tools you were using affecting how this security guard was reacting. But I imagine now being there when you're working on this, that you know, the, even the questions people were asking you, you know, is our war like, uh, you know, how does it compare to the other wars you've been in? It must have also given you access or entree into these different worlds. The fact that they, you were seen as a local yet someone who was a professional and had been in these other situations. And so did, did that, did people allow you to get into these extre extreme situations on both sides of the law because of that? Let me just mention, I mean, we're, we're, ta we're not talking, we're not having an academic conversation with you. You, you spent a good amount of time in Somalia, Libya, and Syria photographing War. I mean, and photographing, like I said a little earlier, you know, the most violent situations in war, right? I am not like, I left school very early. So you, you won't be able to have an academic school. <laughs> I left school very, very early. I was, I left school by the age of 14. That's yeah. probably a good age to leave. Yeah, uh, so I'm sorry, Kai. I, I yeah, but uh, so now you're there and did it, 
and people know who you are and you've got a reputation or you could you could talk about what you've seen did, did that help you be able to get access to what was happening in in Brazil yeah yeah then you know think i think that people actually were i don't think that i mean of course for doing some certain kind of work you need to have uh, an experience you know uh, um, professional experience or maybe an intellectual experience you, be, you need to be mature mm -hmm. you know Your maturity is very important for for certain kind of work that you do that I wouldn't be able to I wouldn't have had the maturity to do this work when I was 20 years old and today I'm 42 so I think that um, people understood that okay Andre is bringing us here some elements that we are not maybe we are feeling those elements that we, we know that we can observe it but maybe he's like linking it in some like new or different kind of way that we should now see the reactions of that right and then it was for me like very important that inviting uh, a person who wasn't uh, who didn't have the bias the social the cultural the religious sexual whatever bias for what Brazil is to help me putting together this exhibition. And then, you know, who better than that than Thomas Roma? Yeah. You know, this amazing photographer, this amazing human being that made all his work basically in, in, in Brooklyn, right? right. Who, who has a lot of, um, in a, a very open-minded person, very interested person in going to the human aspect of life you know what makes us humans you know and it was like uh, an amazing work you know like uh, amazing experience i wish like i had more now energy or time and uh, to give it more uh, to show it in other places and so on but right now emotionally i feel completely empty in the sense that it took it took very very much of me mm. to do this work because like let's say you mentioned oh I'm working I work in Somalia or whatever but if I went to Somalia and photographing a mother going to visit us, her son in a prison mm. I would feel horrible I'd say wow this is very difficult but here in Brazil I photograph my own mother going to prison, visit my brother. And then, like, if I photographed, I, I, I made a lot of good connections and friends and people that I learned to love around the world. But here in Brazil, I met someone that I said, okay, I want to live the rest of my life with this person. And all the things that go around, you know, all the insecurity, all the fears, all the bias, all the hate made, contributed for nothing of the good plans that I had as a person to work as fluid as I, as I wish that they had. You know, my brother is still in jail. My relationship is broken. My friends have today, are fighting today for politics, the polarized politics. And the country is a mess. And then, like, and then, like, emotionally today, 
I can I, I, I have no words to tell you how empathy am I in the sense that I, I truly need space to to come back to myself you know to to the, to to come back to Andre the Andre who could live say okay go cool, Andre you are taking care of yourself now not you are not part of you understand you know it's yeah, different yeah, absolutely and, and Brazil was that intense for me man like the the two and a half years that I've been here now it became much more personal you you were you started off thinking oh let me bring that war photography method home but it became it, something much more intense because i mean i thought that like for example if i was in somalia as i said i i could photograph the mother i could photograph the the, the children dying you know the whatever but in the end of the day when the clock ring like said ring you know oh my plan is living i take my bags and i go back home is this do you come home like troubled in your head yes but you come back home you know you have the comfort of home home is not that place you have that comfort you know it's it's that's i mean but here brazil is home you know and now i i, I need to learn how to leave it behind again you know as i did as i did it for 20 years like bit more of 20 years ago i need to leave brazil behind again you know you mean physically i think you you have to move move away emotionally everything intellectually mm. you know and now i'm leaving yeah now now right now i'm leaving yeah. <laughs> it it's okay to take a break right I and mean, you you well, yes yes yeah yeah and it and it's it's more than okay it's necessary to get yourself healthy again yeah you know, well, I mean, I won't take a break of photography. I won't take a break. I just, oh, need, like, yeah. I just need life to be different. You know, like just, just, just now that we start, like, oh, I was in Tanzania working with doctors. You know, like, for, you know, this is something interesting because like, okay, Brazil, we're talking about Brazil. And I was saying, like, uh, mentioning Somalia, mentioning war. And people who is, are listening to this post, they will say, oh, my God. I won't go to Brazil because Brazil is just that. Listen, it's not just that. Brazil has a lot of fun things too. Sao Paulo is an amazing city, yeah. you know, fantastic place, a lot of culture. And, uh, but now, when I was flying back from from Tanzania, in the in the plane, I was watching one of those culinary programs. You know, people cooking, mm. and there was this guy who had he had no the, he had no the appearance of you know. A, Baseball player, beautiful guy, well, you know, nice, cooking something, something very sophisticated with his hands and blah, 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 you know. And then I looked at that. I said, wow, that's amazing, man. This guy, he's cooking just for the privilege of cooking, not for necessity of eating. He cooks because he can cook, not because he has to eat. And then I, I, I said, like, this is society today, like the, 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 the urban society in Sao Paulo and so on. And that, you know, I feel like this um, emotional anorexia that people living to, are living today, like they, they, it doesn't matter what they eat, but they feel empathy inside, this emotional anorexia that we live. And then I saw that thing in this culture, you know, this cons culture that we have today massified 
we have thousands of thousands of master chefs programs that people were you know people trying to solve their lives with uh, yoga and uh, detox juice you know yeah yet we have all these things happening in the world like for, like, like for example I did this exhibition showing how close we are of being the, the people having people in Brazil suffering as much as people in war zones are suffering and why can we still solve it in a different way than what they are doing it but yet people are busy living their emotionally anorexic lives which is like for me sounds like oh Andrea is a very pessimistic person wow I don't know but uh, I I'm optimistic enough to say I need time now to get close to people like those doctors from Cornell uh, who go say, listen, we have capacity, we have creativity, we have from you know knowledge, we have the means. Let's do something. The means that I know, the knowledge that I have, the, the, the skill that I I can master is photography. And uh, I, I feel like I finished the work that I had to do in Brazil. So now I I will find something else. Yeah, and it, it sounds like you you need to take care of yourself because it does sound like you're in a, a little bit of a, a dark space. So, you know, it's, no, it's, yeah. it's not that. Yeah. It, that, that is difficult because I mean, probably because of the way I talk, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm unhappy, mm-hmm. just that I think that in one point, the work of photographers, you know, or our work is that, okay, you did what you had to do, leave it. For me, it's more difficult because I did it something that is my, my family, my people people that I identify as co-citizens, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, more difficult, far, far, far more difficult than working in Somalia or Libya or whatever, you know, because I was showing, uh, was like dialoguing with uh, people that I actually identify myself as, as my co-citizens, you know? Do you foresee that in the future <clears throat> that this type of, I mean, because to me, even though the the approach might have been similar, certainly this work being more personal, of course, but also knowing that it wasn't going to be, you know, published in a newspaper that you were you were making this work for another purpose. Do you see that type of, for lack of a better term, you know, more documentaries mm-hmm. approach to photographing? Do you see that there's more of that in your in your future? That that's the kind of work that you want to expose yourself to more? Or? Yeah, I think yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, that that's what we hope for, and and mm-hmm. this kind of thing of the role of you know a, an artist, a photographer, whatever is this idea that you're you're going to be the observer, you're going to be the person who, if not asking dif- the difficult questions, at least you know, posing them or, or putting yourself in the place to be able to uh, witness these things and, and to bring them together for other people to see. That uh, I was just reading about uh, Leo Tolstoy and his idea of the use of art is that it can wake people up to to make them think about think about me maybe even empathize with the lives or the inner dialogues of people who are not themselves right that mm-hmm. most of our life we're going around within our own head and only thinking from our perspective mm-hmm. and that art can expose you in a way to things that are outside of yourself and allow you to make that connection 
And mm. if you're if you're out there and you're you're meeting people and you're getting close, as you said, and and then bringing that back, you know, that's a role. That's a that's a a use and that's a need that uh, that we have. Yeah, you know, it's um like for example, I I, I believe in utopia. Okay, but what is utopia? Mm-hmm. Like, for example, let's say for example, if I go up in a building that is 10 floors, you know, high, and I go to the top and they say, listen, if I jump here, I believe that I can fly. That's not utopia. Right. <laughs> you know, this is craziness. Mm. I know that I won't be able to fly. Or not you for know. very long. <laughs> exactly, you know. <laughs> but um, if I say, listen, if I go to a top of the same building and they say, listen, I can find some device or something that will make me possible to fly. You know, that's not utopia. People have done that before. It's utopia for me because I have no knowledge, no skills, no means, no nothing mm. for doing that. But I know it's possible. But I, I, can, I recognize the barriers that are between me and the reality that I can see from ahead of me. And I, that is my decision if I want to cross those barriers, if I want to go beyond it, or if I want to stay behind and accept the offers that many people, many cultures, many services, many whatever, will try to convince me. Listen, Andre, trying to go over barriers are difficult, are painful. I can sell you right here now for very cheap money a copy of that reality. Mm. You won't get, you know, don't worry, man. And then you okay, good, man. Are you sure? Is it the same taste? Is the same texture? Sure, it is. Right? Okay, good, buy it. So, but then, you know, after a while, I say, man, it's boring, you know, that reality, I got this too easy, right? And then you say, okay, good. Well, better. I have the reality 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> better, 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 better reality. So, get satisfied, you know. Which is how how can we like say okay, not make fantasies, suicidal fantasies that we are jumping from the tenth floor of a building, but yet, you know, say okay, there are a few barriers between me and the reality that I wish to you know to to happen. Let's do the best as we can that we can. No, no, no. Jump on, jump a two. You know, you know. Learn with the process. You, you, you mentioned you know getting out of Brazil. Have you thought about where you want to go? Yeah, first I go to Italy because my children they live in Italy, and then you know, it's time to be a a, a father. Mm, you know, nice. but you know this is something that I have been. It's being a father is, I think, being a father or a mother is probably the best way we all have to commit mistakes, right? Every human being who wants to commit mistakes in their life, they should be fathers or mothers, you know? So true. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's how nature told, you know, made us like learn how to commit mistakes. And, um, and I, I tried my very best to be a good father so far, but I now see that uh, physical proximity 
it's something very very important and uh, and I want to to use it to be a good father too yeah and meanwhile mm -hmm. go back to my work in Libya mainly Libya and Somalia yeah now when we were last time we checked in with you you mentioned something about a book that you had just launched yeah the the book I uh, wrote with a friend a colleague of mine he's a, he's a foreign editor of the large magazine, large, the, the most important magazine here in Brazil, Veja. You, you fuzzed out a little bit there? You, you mentioned that this is a friend who was a, a co-editor? He, he's a co-editor. Okay. He, he's a co-writer. Hmm. He writes a person, he writes like um, the story, is a, the, the title is a war correspondent. He, and uh, it, it is a, a book about the perspective of some, the editor who sends someone to cover a war and the perspective of someone who be sent mm. to cover a war. You know, it's a half very technical, historical-based uh, work, but also like biographical, uh, my biography, my, my own, a part of my own biography that, that I wrote, and uh, the, 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 the things that I saw and the moments that I think it's important and anyone going to cover a war would see and then in the end of the day come back having to deal with it. Is it in Portuguese or? It's in Portuguese, yeah. Well, maybe it'll get translated. It will be, yeah, it will be translated hmm. by the end of the year. Oh, great. The, it's, uh, the title is War Correspondent. War Correspondent, okay. Well, okay. You'll definitely have to let us know and yeah. we'll uh, let other people know. I, I'm sure that's something that people would love to read. So you know, you mentioned um, just a, a few a minute ago that you you see yourself going back to Syria and was it Somalia, Somalia? And Libya, Libya, yeah. I, and what do you do? You imagine yourself going back and and actually trying to do something different? Because I know you you said uh, you also um, said in the Vice article that Giancarlo wrote that you had enough of violence, but are are you looking for something different when you go back or when you think about going back? I had like. Um... You know, like in this article that Giancarlo wrote, he starts saying, if you are in a bar, a bar fight, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> Andre Leon is the kind of guy you want to have on your side. Right? right? right. Like, uh, I have, I, I, th I think that this is the kind of violence that I'm enough, I have enough with. Mm. You know, the violence that is in, was inside of myself because, um, I had a lot of violence inside myself, you know, and uh, and the violence that I had inside myself was actually very important for me to survive during my youth and possibly my early adulthood. And um, you know, like alone in a foreign country that you don't have any family or speaks the language or whatever, like Norway, completely different of the reality that you are used to. But um, I think that I don't want people who are, if people are in uh, in bar fights, I think that they should deal it, with it by themselves. Hmm. You know, do not expect Andre to get involved. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You understand? Yes. Or, or like, if I go to a war, I want to go to war there. I, I'm in the same bar. I'm in the same war. 
but uh, I want to have more, to use more empathy than like violence to do the work that I, or, you know, inside myself. And if the work comes different out of that, because of that, then fine. I think it will. But this, it, it, that comes also like with maturity, I think, right? Right. And uh, I mean, it's um, aging is a very amazing process. It's an amazing process that you get better in your head, in your heart, but somehow a little bit less or far less <laughs> well with your body, mm. you know. I think, I'm, I mean, I'm quite enjoying my aging process, you know. Yeah. So you, uh, you have a, a son, a daughter in Italy? I have a daughter. She's, uh, she's turning nine, nine years old. Oh, great. And I have my, a son. He's turning six. Nice. And they are the most beautiful things in the world. I have a, an eight and a four-year-old, and, uh, and part of this recording, you can hear them a little bit screaming downstairs. <laughs> yeah, that makes the, you know, the spicy of our life. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, Andre, I want to thank you so much for uh, joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time to Skype in with us all the way from uh, Brazil. Yeah, it was, a, it was a real treat to well, talk to you, and, yeah. and we've been wanting to do it for a while, so it's yeah. great. My, any, my pleasure. Any my, possibility you'll be coming through New York at any time? Yes, it is, yeah. Uh, first, I want to meet, you know, there are so many people I love in New York. There's so many people I love in New York. Hmm. Uh, that city is very important. I mean, there, you know, like Tom is, you know, Tom, I, I'm a, a atheist, mm. you know. Mm -hmm. I don't have... Um, uh, religion or what, but my meeting with Tom, sometimes I feel almost spiritual, mm -hmm. you know, it's almost spiritual, my meeting with Tom. I don't have words to explain that. No, and I don't think you have to. I think that, I think you did. You know, I love so much that person, you know, and uh, yeah, it's a brother that, um, yeah, I'm planning to come to New York, yes. Well, I hope to see you here soon. Well, yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. Well, well, thanks again. Thank you, guys. All nice. right. We'll talk soon. Have a nice time. And if you see Tom, you know, yeah. send a picture to him. I yes. will. I'll probably see him tomorrow. And I'll, oh, I'll let him fine. Yeah. Yes. The, the, you know, the tight hug to him, man. All Absolutely. Right. <laughs> All right, Andre. Take care of yourself. Take right. Care. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.